0: Welcome to the Scribner Australia podcast, Books That Talk. Hello, my name's Tegan Bennett-Daylight and I'm a writer, a teacher and a literary critic. I'm an author of several books, the most recent of which is a collection of essays, The Details, on love, death and reading. This book was the inspiration for this series of podcasts and it explores the way readers absorb books into their daily lives and bring their daily lives into their reading. Today, I'm lucky enough to be talking to Virginia Trioli, who's a journalist, broadcaster and author. She's the host of Mornings on ABC Radio Melbourne and the founding anchor of ABC News Breakfast, which she co-hosted for 11 years. Virginia's a two-time Walkley Award winner and has worked for The Age and The Bulletin and has hosted programs such as Q&A, Late Line, 7.30 and Sunday Arts. Virginia's also the author of Generation F, Sex, Power and the Young Feminist published in 1996 as a riposte to Helen Garner's The First Stone and updated and republished by Scribner in 2019, taking account of the international Me Too movement. Welcome to my podcast, Virginia. Hello, so nice to be here. Thanks for having me, Tegan. Isn't it lovely to be together across all the miles and all the lockdowns?
1: <laughs> I feel that if I, if I can just push... On this door between you and me it's so just in the right place it might spring open and I might get I out of here of lockdown Melbourne
0: <laughs> and you could come to lovely Katoomba where the blossoms are blowing and we're oh, out. stop it sorry, sorry 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 <laughs> okay let's talk first about the idea of being in conversation with a book can you let me know what this means to you first as a reader and then as a writer
1: Do you mean generally
0: or with this book? With all books. There must be lots of books as a writer and a broadcaster and a thinker that you're in conversation with. What does that conversation feel
1: like? Uh, First of all, I love the moment when it actually lands. You read and engage with and flit in and out of and then sometimes bury really deep down into all sorts of books, all sorts of, of pieces of writing. But that moment of when it lands with you, when something happens, an idea hooks in, a turn of phrase, a way that a writer sees the world and it's, it's like um, a magnet and that, was, that was looking for something to pick up and it finds you and it hooks in and grabs your heart or grabs your mind, that moment is, is like great sex and it never, ever gets old. You know, it mm. is—it's it, an instant flash of of love and understanding and connection and possibility, and it's it, it's rich and exciting. And when you have that experience with a book, that's it. You know, they're yours and you're—it's you. You are connected now. You've you've sort of made some sort of you know promise to each other, and and you'll stay. So you might finish that book and you may even give that book away. You might not um, read it again, although you're, you're more likely to go back to it. But I love how so the moments will stay and there'll be a chapter or a character or uh, an event or a challenge or a notion that stays with you. And you accrue these over a lifetime of reading. And I, I sometimes get a sort of almost a visual sense of it. It's like a it's like an old mosaic floor where, where, where chips have just been added, you know, more and more mm-hmm. over the years, filling out the picture. Um, and that's, that's the... That's the thing that that means the most to me, and it has the most effect on me as a reader. Is just is waiting to be captured in that way. It doesn't always happen, um, and and there's always a little bit of loss and and sorrow about. It's almost like a, a failed date, you know. You you mm. end up with high expectations and put lipstick on and great heels, and <laughs> oh, oh, it just didn't work. It just didn't. Just didn't, it didn't work. work. No, you make
0: and, it uh, sound, and I, and I think I think this is what you're saying that it's like falling in love. I have a a songwriter friend who a line in a song that she wrote once about falling in love was, you and I have started the endless conversation, which always seemed to me to be the perfect description of what a a marriage or a long partnership is like. It's a conversation that starts and then doesn't finish. And I think there's lots of writers who feel that way about books. Mm -hmm. We name your book, which is a very thrilling choice, Can you drop back into your childhood and let me know? There are a couple of books from your childhood that did that to you, where perhaps you recognised yourself or you found a companion, something sort of important in your childhood reading. Any books that you'd like to mention?
1: Oh, wow, that's such an interesting question. It it immediately sends me back to um, Alice in Wonderland, actually, which Mm. I... Read uh, early and loved, and it was actually it was the darkness of it that I yeah. liked. Because I think when I first encountered the very idea of Alice in Wonderland, I I already had a preconceived notion of that. It was a, a Disney movie and a, and a fanciful tale, but it's a true Victorian Gothic story, <laughs> in in a sense, and uh, and a, a, a wickedly um, sort of you know psychological one as well. And that captured me immediately. And so the moment I start thinking about answering your question, Tegan, all these all these interesting women and these interesting girls start coming up in my memory. and they're, they're the books, that I remember, women and girls who find themselves in unexpected places, who find themselves lost or perhaps having deliberately taken a strange path and either trying to get back home or trying to mm-hmm. find somewhere to go. Uh, women who feel storms of emotion and are trying to make sense of it all. So that that sort of segues in my mind from from the fantastic tale of of this very strong-willed, rather pernickety, difficult um girl Alice who finds herself in someone else's place and sets about starting to order it and starting mm. to tell people how they should live better and make sense of it and make sense, and make sense, of, sense it. of it yes, she exactly. can, it's her it's
0: continual efforts to to bring everything into order that that amuse me and keep me reading I'm still reading that book for
1: me it's so was, it was the same yeah I, it began a lifelong ex- obsession actually with um Lewis Carroll and mm. um you know you know how you watch those sort of mastermind type you know, TV shows and I was thinking, oh, what would the special subject be? And it would probably be Lewis Carroll because he then went on to interest me enormously as a real man of his age uh, yeah. in, in every respect in terms of his, his capacity and abilities and what he did, but also in terms of clearly his, his challenges, um, his secrets and yeah. his unlived life. Um, and which is again a perfectly Victorian story, uh, but yeah, no, she, she, and I think there's something about the um, the highly opinionated um, young mm. woman that she, <laughs> I must connect with in an odd way.
0: Mm, <laughs> mm. I, this is obviously we we need a lot of time to talk about this, but I just need to make sure that you've got a copy of the annotated Alice, which... I do. Is, yes, I do absolutely.
1: absolutely. Good. It's a brilliant, book. It is a brilliant,
0: brilliant book. Brilliant, <laughs> brilliant book. <laughs> okay, okay. So we could spend a lot of time talking about that. Today's book, what is the book that you've
1: chosen to talk about today? The book that I keep coming back to and um, for She's Delight, I still have with me, it's it's the original volume of it that I read 150 years ago. It's uh, Daphne de Moria's Rebecca and that's yeah. the the incredibly dog-eared paperback it's still got notes in it from you know recent times actually uh stuck in it and also my my line pencil annotations that I wrote in as a schoolgirl. you can see the the penciled notes in the margin I, I write on books and I mm. dog ear pages I'm not in any way precious about books um mm. and then you know, if I need to hand them on, I hand them on. I don't hang on to them. Uh, they're 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 living things, and they need to be out into the world. But I read Daphne de Maurier's Rebecca as a schoolgirl. It was assigned to us at Donvale High in Year Nine by my English teacher, Kath Wilkinson. And I remember at the time that our English literature teacher, Gwyneth uh, McCubbin, who was a very refined woman of um of high tastes, who taught us you know, John Donne and Shakespeare and and the greats, uh, she really turned up her nose at the idea that we were basically being set, you know, something close to Pulp Fiction uh, mm-hmm. to read in our English class. But I was absolutely captivated by a story that, again, puts um, a, a woman who is not in control of her situation at the centre of the sto- story, trying to make sense of a tale where another woman seems to be the enemy and where she is trying to make sense of the strange man that she's caught up with. It's a, it's a, it's a suspense story. It's a ghost story. Yep. It is a, a classic Gothic novel, again. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling that, that we're going to be referring backwards and forwards to that sort of genre the whole way through this conversation. And it spoke to me really powerfully as um, a, a young woman who also was filled with voices of, um, of self-doubt and as I've got older and older, that book, and you talked about, you know, starting the, the, the endless conversation, I've been an endless conversation with it because the book and the story keeps changing as I get older and as my yeah. understanding of the world changes.
0: Yeah, so it's a real relationship. So I just want to, I want to get to that. I want to ask you... Just in case there's someone listening who does not know the story of Rebecca, if you could just give us a very quick rundown of what goes on.
1: Rebecca is the story of Rebecca but also another woman who's the central unnamed character. She has no name and it takes you as a reader quite a while to figure out that this first-person narrated book is narrated by someone who is never named by the author. Uh, She's working as an au pair for a very vulgar American woman and she meets this mysterious man um, on the French Riviera and in a whirlwind romance, he takes her up, marries her and takes her back to his uh, famous estate down on the Cornish coast where it turns out that he's living a haunted life because his brilliant, beautiful, talented first wife, Rebecca, died in tragic circumstances there, and it appears that both he is haunted by her memory and really the whole house is, and she finds it harder and harder to connect with her husband, to become mistress of the house and to solve this looming mystery of why she can't connect with this man when the, the memory of another woman far more beautiful than her, far more talented than her, doesn't seem to let go of him. He, he's under her spell, but it's a lot more complex than that.
0: And she is, the, the the entire book is overshadowed by this the presence of an older woman, Mrs Danvers, the ex-housekeeper. Oh, no, not the ex-housekeeper, the housekeeper who worked when Rebecca was alive and is still working. And she keeps leading our unnamed narrator into difficult places. So here's a question that I often ask um, students to answer when they're writing, and they never know what the answer is, so, you know... Um, What's this book about? So I don't mean we've, we've got the story. What is this book about?
1: Well, I, could, I could answer that in, in, in three different ways, but I'm sort of, I'm kind of reluctant to spoil it almost by answering that. But it's about it's about um, relationships between women, actually. Mm-hmm. It's about the, the women who take care of us and who we trust. It's about the women who... Uh, um, cover for us and who allow us to live either secret lives or complete lives and it's about the women that we want to understand better because we fear them love them desire them envy them and somehow want to enter into life with them or an understanding with them Maxim is the man who she marries and he's dashing and and entitled and uh, um, very, very charming and and charismatic. But Maxim really doesn't matter in this book. It's the story of the women. It's the story of our unnamed narrator, of the dead Rebecca and of the, the mourning and angry and apparently vengeful Mrs Danvers, who's the housekeeper, but who also has looked, at, looked after Rebecca from when she was a very young age. She was Rebecca's uh, nanny and nursemaid and then went on to travel with her for the rest of her life becoming the housemaid at this great pile down on the Cornish coast. So it's a story of women seeking to understand each other, I think. Mm, that's so interesting. So I I will read almost
0: anything. I'm curious about everything and I don't allow my um, beliefs or ideas to stop me from reading things if I I disagree with the beliefs or ideas of a book. Seems to me to limit myself in that way is pointless. Teaches me nothing. I have always read Rebecca to be a book about a man as a prize and that to achieve maximum is, is the sort of ultimate goal of the unnamed narrator, to, to have him to finally have this wonderful prize of this handsome older man who seems to hold all civilization together, if you know what I mean. But I think you're reading it differently to me. What do you think? Is, it, is it, and, and, and I guess what I'm saying here is we are feminists. I don't experience it
1: as a feminist book, but I think you might do, and I'm interested to hear you unpack that. I don't. I don't think it's a feminist response to it, actually. Although, and I, I do want to talk about this because I actually think uh, reading the book in 2020, there's a there's a completely different reading of this book, which yes. to me is even more powerful and much more interesting. But that's not a, that's not a feminist response because the relationship that that our unnamed narrator is most, most closely in with is Rebecca. Mm. She's yeah. haunted You're by right. Rebecca.
0: You're
1: right. She yeah. seeks and hunts down Rebecca. One of the, um, the, the the opening of the book is one of the most famous openings of, of all literature, actually. Think of that. It comes from a Daphne du Maurier novel. But it's, it, it is just glorious. I'll just read the first paragraph. Last night I dreamt I went to Mandalay again. I mean, you're in, right? Yeah, you're in, you're in. How many, how many words is that? Like, okay, yeah, you've yeah. got me. Yeah, yeah. I want to know about Mandalay. Why aren't you there anymore? Why do you have to dream about it? I mean, everything, everything. Mm. It seemed to me I stood by the iron gate leading to the drive and for a while I could not enter for the way was barred to me. There was a padlock and a chain upon the gate. I called in my dream to the lodgekeeper and had no answer and peering closer through the rusted spokes of the gate, I saw that the lodge was uninhabited. And on it goes. You're deep, deep into detail and you have a long detail of winding down the driveway, the famous driveway with the famous azalea bushes and the beautiful scent that the white azalea releases. In an early moment when she's first there, this this bumbling, uneducated, gauche girl who Mm. seeks to be sophisticated and bright and witty and smart like Rebecca... Uh, she, they're going for a walk and she has no coat. So Maxim offhandedly throws her a coat and says, you know, put this on. She puts it on. It's, it's too big for her. She's, you know, skinny and small and Rebecca was tall and had shoulders. It, it slopes off her. She puts her hand in the pocket and there's a handkerchief there. And the handkerchief contains the scent of uh, an old crushed white azalea petal. And she holds it to her, her nose and she inhales the scent and it's Rebecca. Now, that's that's more lust and love than we ever mm. hear her ever mm. say about Maxim. Yeah, yeah.
0: And, you know, I think what's happening here is that I have not gone on reading Rebecca. So I read it several times as a young woman. And for me, it, it, it actually about the man. Yeah. merged with Gone with the Wind. I, I, yes. I think I think possibly because of the movies, you know, and the gableness of it all. Um, but I can see... I can see from the way you're reading it that if I'd gone on reading it, I would have changed with it as well. And I do wish, we're just doing a podcast, but I do wish my listeners could see you moving as you're talking about this book because as Virginia's describing the book and what Rebecca does, she's acting it out. So it's obviously you're doing what I do, which is you read with the body and it's obviously inhabited you and gone on inhabiting you. We have about many, many more things to say to each other, but here's a thing. A young woman, how about you're talking to my daughter, Alice. She's 19 mm-hmm. and you say, Alice, read Rebecca. What would you say to her?
1: Uh, all I'd say is read Rebecca, uh, mm-hmm. then come back and talk to me about it. If you get stuck, if you find um, that you're, you're not thrilled to it or, or enjoying it, I, I want you to, to uh, persist Mm. um i would tell her i would warn her <laughs> in a volume like mine look how we used to publish books look look how tiny that print is it's mm. never that tiny. <laughs> <laughs> huge fat big print books for people whose eyes have been ruined by screens um i would i would perhaps maybe for and i wouldn't forewarn her about the dialogue what i love about this book is that it's there are long long stretches of dialogue which i love you know mm. Mm. Um, show don't tell is a mm. is fundamental to, to my my thinking, my work, my writing. If you have to, you know, tell someone, then you're, you're not able to show it. And she can show everything through crisp dialogue, which which really, really has a modifier. Um, someone doesn't ever say something, you know, with an adverb at the end of it. You know, Arrogantly or, wrongly,
0: or arrogant,
1: quietly. Or... No, no, no modifiers. We just, the, the, the dialogue alone is itself. Then when you've read it, come back and tell me what you think it is. Because your daughter reading it today and this takes us now to the third interpretation of Rebecca I realized with some shock uh, when I went back to it actually just was it last year or the year before and read it again that are we allowed to do spoiler alerts on our podcast
0: absolutely absolutely I don't believe in spoilers if you know I think if you love reading you don't care when you get to the end if you know what I mean
1: and we're going to assume that people have maybe, if they haven't read the book, they've read it before, they've sat down and listened to this, and I certainly hope you have. This is a book, is a book about family violence. This is a book about a murderer.
0: Mm.
1: He's a murderer. I know.
0: And that is why I'm saying to you, the book seems to be about somehow achieving Maxim, and he doesn't seem to me to be someone that I would want to achieve.
1: Because but it's, yeah, but, oh, it's, but he it's, kills it's, her. Because he kills her. But it's framed, it's framed in a way that makes sense at that time where mm. the difficult, headstrong, uncontrollable woman had what was coming to her. But, mm. but I know, from what I know now about Daphne de Moria herself and the, the, the unfulfilled life that she led and the secret life that she had, mm. that this is a, an allegory. And it's a parable about her life. And that may have been the story she told, but you can absolutely tell from the, from the total devastation that's wrought by the end of the book that she's not telling this story in a straight way, that, that Maxim is the wonderful prize to be won actually. It's, mm. it's a story of a controlling, violent husband and of the next uh, Rube who basically stumbles into his web. And mm. the open question at the end of the book is, is it going to happen to her too? Because by the end of the book, she starts to enter into her power. And so the question arises when she starts to want to define the boundaries or the lack of boundaries of her life. Mm. Is it going to happen to her too? Mm. Mm.
0: Wow. You're a good reader. You're going to... <laughs> this, is, this has been fabulous and so interesting. I have a feeling that on Mastermind you could probably do Rebecca as well as <laughs> Lewis Carroll or perhaps even more, even better.
1: Ori, Ori, or even Daphne DeMauri herself. She, she's a really fascinating woman. Yes. Uh, had an incredibly interesting life. Um, I, I would recommend it. There's a great biography on her by Margaret Forster, which is a terrific read, a great portrait of, of time and place, in England as well, uh, an interesting time between the wars, uh, and I, 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 there are there are su- such strong linkages between you know Rebecca and and Daphne Daphne's life about um, the the part of Daphne's life mm-hmm. that was either her living as a as a repressed gay woman or as a or as a, a, a gay woman who managed as many women did at that time to to you know work it in a way that suited her. But then mm. you see played out between the relationship between Rebecca and Mrs. Danvers, I think potentially as well. And also in in an emotional sense between um, Rebecca and our unnamed narrator. I think all of those layers become even richer when you read a little bit more into Daphne's life.
0: Well <laughs> this is fantastic. We actually have to bring this to an end, but we could talk for a lot longer. Thank you so much, Virginia, for talking with me today. Everybody, I've been talking to Virginia Trioli. She's writer and broadcaster, and her chosen book is Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier, which has never gone out of print. Still available, so I'll certainly be getting a copy for Alice. Thanks so much, Virginia.
1: Thank you so much, Tegan. Thank you.